We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We're looking ahead to the 2022 draft season. We're going to break down some best ball early, early ADP because, yes, we have already started drafting a little bit for next season. We're also going to get into Mario's Dynasty Watch series, maybe get into some free agent quarterbacks as well. So fun show ahead. Let's get it rolling. Welcome back in Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. This podcast presented to you by our good friends over at WinBet. Uh, before we get started, Mario, I saw a tweet this morning uh, that, that interested me. Uh, figured I'd share it along with you. Uh, at LSU, Louisiana State University, a raccoon fell through the dining hall ceiling. And I took that to mean that there it's the Bayou version of their six more weeks of winter. Yeah, it could be that. Uh, I just can't believe the, all these raccoon amateurs you got nowadays. Like no, people act like they've never seen a raccoon before or, or know to act like they don't know that you got to check, ar- uh, check around or listen into the attic to make sure you don't have raccoons building a vast colony in there. Uh, <laughs> Cause they'll get in there and they'll have like a, a little Coliseum going and they like fight each other and it's brutal and they get really loud. And yeah, if you don't do something about it, eventually they'll crash through uh, your ceiling, maybe while you're having dinner and uh, or wherever the dining space is. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a shocking tale. I just, I thought LSU was a, a more respectable institution. They, they clearly got to pick up their dining services game. I, I remember being at Georgia and the, the main like sales pitch during the orientation was how good their, their uh, meal plan was. And it less, less focused on, on the academics and more just like you, you're going to eat really well here. It's like, all right, yeah, I'm good with that. What was, were they right? As long as it wasn't false advertising, I guess, like they actually were like they, we had, yeah. we had one dining hall that was like 24 hours dur- during the week. So that was, that was pretty sick. Um, no, good UGA dining services and no much. raccoons, no raccoons, not, yeah, not nary even a squirrel, uh, <laughs> was ever spotted in those fine spaces. But, uh, I digress. I uh, just wanted to, to pass that along, but let's go ahead. Let's get rolling. So, 
myself, Mario, and I'm, I'm sure you're not f- far behind if you haven't already done one, but Sicko, such as myself, has already done a best ball draft. It's not quite as involved as like what it what it once was because on underdog you can do those fast drafts, so it's really not like a huge time commitment. Right. Um, but I went ahead and did one when I was bored on Tuesday night, and here's what I came up with. Um, I was picking out of the sixth spot, and I was I was having a little bit of trouble deciding if I wanted Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson at six, but Jamar Chase went fourth. So that, that kind of made up my, my mind for me. And th- this is a half-point PPR format, um, but I still feel like Jefferson could still be ascending, um, you know, again, assuming that, that Kirk Cousins uh, remains in, in Minnesota. But um, I felt comfortable going receiver in the first round, like more, more so than, than I ever have. I, I did take Tyreek Hill. I think I had one share of t- Tyreek in the first round from last year, um, and that was fine. He, he went 10th overall. But after I went with Jefferson, um, I had Nick Chubb, Kyle Pitts, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, Traylon Burks, Jerry Judy, C.E.H., and Rashad Penny were my first uh, nine selections in this draft out of out of the six spot. How'd I do? Well, Justin Jefferson at six, I think, is one of the kind of ideal ways to start out right now. And more than any year I can remember, really. I feel like it makes a lot of sense to take a wide receiver in the first round, even if it's not uh, one of the first three wide receivers taken in the first round, because there's more, uh, I guess you wouldn't say mid round exactly, but rounds like three through six. And I guess in your case, even eight and nine have more running back depth at the moment anyway, than I can remember in quite a while. So uh, Aaron Jones going in the fourth round, along with guys like Elijah Mitchell, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, that's, kind of the sweet one of the sweet spots i think and then also where you got clyde edwards uh, clyde edwards hilaire and rashad penny that's kind of the sort of crew that i want at running back is like chubb dobbins uh edwards hilaire penny that top four strikes me as totally totally good uh probably like i don't know um i don't i don't know how much it makes how, how much it's worth like getting into like where it ranks in the league but i think it's definitely good enough uh to win it assuming you are hitting at the other uh, spots that you need to, which uh, Justin Jefferson at wide receiver and Kyle Pitts at tight end is a great start toward that end. Yeah, I, I thought so too. And 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 yeah, to your point, it, you can feel a lot more comfortable. It's not really uh, going contrarian to go receiver early and wait on running backs when you have guys like like Elijah Mitchell, Aaron Jones, J.K. Dobbins in the fourth. Are you surprised at all at, at how far exactly Ezekiel Elliott fell? He was the forty fifth overall. Um, selection and I'm surprised about a few things yeah sorry I'm I'm surprised about a few things this is um I I think it's safe to say uh interesting as these drafts happening right now might be the ADP that they're showing and especially the next couple weeks is going to just completely get rearranged uh I don't know maybe within like a month even I guess we'll see how how the the best ball offseason ecosystem looks this particular year i can imagine it being like a little more intense every year just because you know every year there's more thirst and further earlier into the off season things start to get going it seems every year so maybe we'll see some actual um like uh what do you call it solidifying or whatever of uh the the adp because some of these things are just i don't i don't expect to see happen in any drafts that i'm in like aaron jones in the fourth um I, i guess i understand like the aaron Rodgers concern but 
Aaron Jones is a good player. It's not like Aaron Rodgers made Aaron Jones. Aaron Rodgers couldn't make Jamal Williams happen, you know? So uh, they got a good offensive line. Uh, and if Rodgers does come back, there's no good basis for letting Aaron Jones, in my opinion, fall out of like the top. Uh, I don't know. I think he's justifiable in like the top 15 somewhere. So falling in the fourth round, along with Elijah Mitchell and uh, who, who I'm quite high on, by the way, I don't know if people are, I don't know if people think that like, Oh, Trey Sermon might catch him next year or they might draft somebody because he has bad draft capital. It's like, do you think Kyle Shanahan is really like, Oh, I got to find a way to spend more money at running back. Now that I have a six rounder, who's uh, a good starter. It's like, I, I got right. to find, I have to find a way to spend more there. It's like, no, he's, he's going to start Elijah Mitchell next year. So, to me, Elijah Mitchell is more like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. You don't need to take him in the third or anything because it's, it's not like they're, you know, there weren't like wrong picks going ahead of him. It, it's, I guess that's all, all that much more to the point of like, because I don't feel strongly about which running back is going, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson 16th overall. Fine. I, I don't have anything wrong with him there. I, I like Antonio Gibson quite a lot, actually. But why am I going to take him there if Alvin Kamara is going 22nd, if Aaron Jones is going 40 something along with Mitchell? Ezekiel Elliott and Dobbins. I'm still really high on Dobbins. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to kind of get those really good wide receivers and tight ends in those first sort of three, four rounds and sort of take whoever falls at running back because I, I don't know how you how you get like a strong reaction between that group, you know, in the, in the, in the fourth round, I'll take any of those guys and be really happy with it. Totally. I mean, the, these are a lot of guys that are going in the in the first round or you know, at, at the worst, you know, late second in, in a lot of cases. I mean, like you said, now we're seeing Alvin Kamara be a late second round selection. I guess um, we'll have to see about his court case, to be fair, because that's that stuff sounds really bad. Um, didn't seem good. And uh, yeah, I know that they, they found like the third guy in that case uh, who was a chief He needs player. a friend to take the fall, uh, basically, because he uh, incriminated himself pretty bad with what he told the police. Uh, like, Ugh. I attacked him because he was running away. Like, oh, no, you meant to say the opposite. He was running at you. That's what you got to say. <laughs> I, I was That's running was away. Running. My, my fists were flailing. Yeah, uh, he was running for his life. I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> so scary. Um your your thoughts um, that a, a someone with an, an experienced badge uh, over on underdog took Christian McCaffrey at second overall. Do you expect him to um, remain in in that top two discussion? I, I think it, it was pretty much pretty well established by November that, that Jonathan Taylor would go one one. But you know, with two just injury riddled non-productive seasons for, for Christian McCaffrey had a catastrophic cost for, for those who invested in him as the number one overall pick. Do you see some hesitance that, that might start to form when it, when it comes to taking McCaffrey? Like, would you be comfortable with, with just bumping Cooper cup up to, to number two overall in, in uh, half and in, in full point PPR formats or, you know, where, where do you see Christian McCaffrey's uh, draft stock going and, do you have any interest as it stands right now if he remains in, in the top two? Yeah, um, it's complicated. It's not easy, but I feel like it is, it, it's not easy to, um, I should say, make like a hard order between these players. It's, it's, it's almost a little bit like I was just saying with the running backs. You know, I, I don't really feel that much strongly about the, the fourth and even like the eighth round running backs versus some of the second round ones. It's like there's, there's a lot of, um, justifiable picks that you could make that don't strike me as 
you know, anything close to just wrong. Like sometimes there are some years where I'm like, oh yeah, this guy should not be going here. There's, there's no reason that the, the, the reasoning doesn't even start to get off the ground. But with McCaffrey, it's like, yeah, fair enough. Touche to anyone who's very concerned about his durability. What, what, what can you tell anyone to, to make them feel better about that? Like he just missed two years, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's brutal when you when you pay the highest pick, uh, as as I would imagine, both years he was probably first. So it's like highest mm-hmm. pick to get that result. Uh, you can't really tell anyone they're wrong for being terrified of that. But uh, the way I look at it, um, I personally don't I, like. Like I think McCaffrey might be in some sort of decline or whatever, but I don't feel str- strong enough about it. Like I'm not sure enough about that to tell anyone not to take him even first overall. Like it, it, it's fair either way. It's like if you're if someone's like I don't want anything to do with him in the first uh, whatever five six picks, it's like yeah, touche. I don't don't really know what to tell you. But if someone says I want to take him first overall, same response for me. I, I got no real argument against it. And obviously, I'm a Jonathan Taylor super fan, but I think it's totally justified to take McCaffrey first overall again because if he doesn't get hurt, he's gonna rake. Like it's just as simple as that. So maybe he does get hurt a third year in a row. Like maybe maybe rather than two years of bad luck it was two years of a beginning decline trend and, and maybe the third year marks another point of, of decline for him. But if it doesn't, he will rake and be a first overall pick in 2023. Okay. I, th- I think that I was just perhaps overreacting, but. Oh no, I, not I at all. Like, like I, like I said, it's like, it's so hard to like, how are you going to tell anyone that they're wrong for like whatever th- their belief is on it? I don't even know what I believe is, is what I, uh, you know, that's my, my position basically. Yeah, it's a, it's two years. It's a it's a position that that's extremely physically demanding, and you know the the old adage goes like you're durable until you're not. Like Duke McCaffrey had heavy workloads dating back to his time at Stanford. You know, had an insane amount of touches in in that great 2019 season. Was was good the year prior as well, and so you can totally see where that upside is. And and it's going to be interesting to see. And it, I think it's going to be very much. You know, the, the Scott Pianowski adage, like every draft is, is a snowflake, like they're all unique. So the, we're going to see some rooms that, that are less averse to McCaffrey. And obviously, it's only going to matter for the first five or so uh, uh, slots in a given draft. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be completely surprised if there are enough people turned off by these last two years and, and maybe comfortable enough with, with investing in like a Cooper Cup or a Jamar Chase Instead, but but like you said, if you assume McCaffrey at, at 16 games, so not even 17, just one missed game, that's still you're still probably getting a killer season out of that. Oh, absolutely. I guess the, the only other thing I can think of with McCaffrey is um, he will go higher in the tournament drafts and lower in the ones that more so resemble cash game payouts. I uh, don't really know how to make the call in those leagues that are just like top two, top uh, three, whatever, that are not in the big tournament. I uh, still think it makes sense to take McCaffrey there, but you're going to see him definitely go more often first or second, uh, higher in general in those big tournament leagues that they do because in the event that McCaffrey doesn't get hurt, he's on you know a lot of winning teams. And uh, the the other side of that same coin is if you're a high-volume best ball drafter, You'll want to sort of, I don't know what the magic number would be, but even if you're buying into McCaffrey at first or second overall, um, you'll want to keep track of kind of like your exposure percentage and, you know, maybe take the position, take the position of uh, buying the price, 
maybe even buying aggressively up until you reach a certain percentage and then hold off until you get some other drafts to diversify. And, uh, you know, if, the, if that number gets low enough, start buying again, if, if it, if nothing bad has happened since, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a good way to put it. And I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll both be, uh, you know, well into, you know, anywhere between 20 and 50 best balls, uh, you know, that maybe, that maybe I'm being uh, conservative. Yeah, By then I'll see. try not to know the number, whatever it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just bear that in mind. I think that that's a really, you know, smart way to, to contextualize it. It's like McCaffrey, a good pick, but you don't want to go full, like hundred percent, um, exposure. Um, let's see here, moving onward. Uh, Let's see here. I, I got Lamar Jackson as my quarterback. He was, uh, I think, the fifth quarterback taken because we had um, Mahomes. We had Josh yeah. Allen, for the, the QB1, Mahomes, Herbert, uh, the third, Burrow, the the fourth, and, and Lamar Jackson, um, the, the fifth. And I, I got him in the middle of the fifth round. And I, I was comfortable with that. And, and the way that I had built my roster to that point, I already had a tight end. I already had um, a couple of running backs, you know, I could have gone with with the receiver there. Gabriel Davis just went a few picks after that. I was surprised to see Amon Ross St. Brown and Darnell Mooney go ahead of Gabriel Davis. I'm not totally sure what that's about, but um, we can talk about that in a second. But but your thoughts on Lamar at setting in at his new um, uh, draft price? Yeah, I love the player, and I even love the personnel on that team. But uh, I don't know what to make. I don't know how to balance, you know, those points with uh, what I think is a, a cripplingly bad offensive coordinator in Greg Roman. So I, I realize that the injuries to the running backs, injuries, and uh, I guess trade in the case of Orlando Brown, offensive line got worse too. M- maybe that stuff sort of like lessened the margin of error for uh, Roman. But to me, Roman is the problem, and I think especially when it's any time that they're play, playing a good defense, I worry about them getting out class because Greg Roman is is just a he's just a big sitting duck. He's, he's easy to take out. So uh, that's Lamar's problem. Other quarterbacks don't have that problem. Some do. Some some other quarterbacks have stupid coordinators. Of course, there's Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott. In the next round, they they face very similar uh, limitations. I think. But um, yeah, with at 54, I guess in the fifth round, and especially in the case of a team like yours, where you already have, I would say anyway, already have running back wide receiver tight end accounted for with, with that, the case, it's like the concerns that I might have about Lamar kind of don't matter as much. It's like, I, I worry about sticking my neck out to acquire him, but I don't think you're doing that at that spot. No, I don't, I don't think so either. And uh I was encouraged by basically pre-injury and pre-illness uh, Lamar. He was starting to do things that this past season that we hadn't seen in the past, like his ability to to lead uh, the offense to, to comebacks when they were trailing by 10 plus points. Like we hadn't seen that yet uh, from him and he was able to do it. So I, I was impressed by that. Um, of course, you know, the things were unfortunate towards the end of the season, spraining his ankle against the Browns and, and missing that game against the Bears. And, and of course, just kind of being out for that stretch run of the season, that can kind of sour, um, you know, some reasons to be bias could, could sour it. As far as Roman goes, like how do you kind of like conflate like the, the 2019 season that was just uh, absurd 
versus you know what we're seeing now and what we could see in 2022 because like you mentioned the offensive line was was markedly worse last year like having to play Alejandro Villanueva is just a problem like that was apparent from the first game of the season against the Raiders that they were going to have struggles also just having a completely you know patchwork running back core I think that they need to have Dobbins and, and Edwards or, you know, back in 2019, like the, the Ingram Edwards combo, they need to kind of have that, I think, for this offense to fully work. I know both guys are coming off season ending injuries, but if they're back to, to being productive and you have legitimate run threats from from the running back position, does that help the offense a little bit more? Maybe, but as much as they lost something with the running back injuries and the general regression on the offensive line. It's also true that they had by far the best pass catching personnel they've ever had there in Baltimore and the results got worse. So I don't even think it's really that much personnel related. Like I think so so that 2019 season, the the MVP Lamar season, I think that sort of result happens even if 2020 Alejandro Villanueva is starting and and if uh, the running backs are, you know, the guys last year, because what happened in my opinion it's not so much that any of the you know any of the player reps got worse in uh, the time in between. It's that defenses adjusted to what they were showing. And the 2019 MVP season, it was a blind side. They didn't know what to do. They were in the middle of these games. Everything's going wrong. They can't catch Lamar, and they d- they don't understand how to deal with these these threats that he's posing that no other quarterback ever has. And after two three years of looking at it and being like, how do we stop this? They they found a couple clues and uh, they they changed their approach. Uh, to adjust to what the Ravens were putting up. And Greg Roman did not counter adjust. Greg Roman was found out and that's it. That's how he works. He, he, he goes to a place. He has some amount of initial success and he's good at installing, I guess, like the basic principles of especially like the run concepts that they use. And then when it doesn't work one day, all you can do is press the button the same time. Like, sorry, press the same button again and just keep pressing it. Hope the results get better. They won't. He's been figured out. Um, he could have made things better in a few simple ways and he didn't. So I don't think he's ever going to be any good. Um, but by kind of, um, it it wasn't even like up to him when, when Lamar got hurt and Tyler Huntley had to play and they could not throw downfield. They unintentionally made the offense better. Even when Huntley out there and Huntley, uh, he's fine, but he's, he's not very good. Lamar is, uh, the -hmm. offense was better for a couple games there with Huntley not because Lamar played worse at any point. It's because Roman started calling different plays because he couldn't run the same plays that he did with Lamar and specifically throwing downfield. And the thing, if there was one particular adjustment that I'd say defense has made to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense since his MVP season, it's that they sit with that off coverage. They play a lot more defensive backs than they did initially. They don't even bother trying to like fit the run gaps exactly. They just sort of like sit back, uh, hope that they have enough pursuers to, to, not stop Lamar in the run game, but keep it from being the reason they lose. And then when the Ravens have to throw in the event that you especially get a, you know, a score or two on the Ravens and they have to throw, you just stop trying to cover those receivers. You play zone coverage exclusively for a couple of reasons. You keep eyes on Lamar. So he can't run as much man coverage. That's when he's lighting you up because your corners are turning their backs to him. And then he's running and no one even knows that he's running until he's 20, 30 yards downfield. That doesn't happen anymore. It won't happen again. Of, unless Greg Roman is removed or unless Greg Roman starts calling different routes. But uh, wh- whereas like the, the Ravens kept running these deep routes right into these off coverages of these corners over and over and over. And Lamar standing back there looking around and like no one's getting open. And they're like, why won't Lamar throw it? Because the receivers are running into the coverage. The coverage is sitting where they run their routes. It, like, Lamar was talking two years ago about how the other teams knew their plays. And like that's 
that's still going on. That's that's actually like basically the problem. It's not so much that they know the plays is that they know they only run certain types of plays and that they don't have to defend certain looks into the Ravens. It might feel like, Oh, they know our plays. Like, no, you just don't run enough plays for anyone to ever be wrong when they guess anymore. So uh, it's a little different. And with Huntley, because they couldn't throw downfield, that off coverage was finally adjusted to, even though Roman didn't even mean to do it. Roman should have called short routes with Lamar out there. And it didn't. When Huntley came in, he had to call short routes because Huntley can't throw 10 yards. And the defenses with those off coverages, especially initially when Huntley played, were not adjusting to that. So Huntley was hitting all these underneath routes and people are like, oh, he's getting rid of the ball quicker than Lamar. Like, yeah, because they're running routes that Lamar never had in the playbook to start with. So I don't know. Roman, if he had the light go on in that moment and say like, oh, duh, if they're playing off coverage and we can't run to make them get out of the off coverage, then let's call some short passes and see how that goes. But uh, that didn't occur to him until Lamar got hurt. And I, I don't think, I don't think the actual insight ever occurred to him. I think he just was like, Oh, we got to sh- throw short cause Tyler's in and it never occurred to him why any of it worked. I don't think he can figure anything out. Yeah. If, uh, if there were to be what one coordinator that I would have preferred the Ravens let go of the, this off season, it probably would have been. He Roman sucks. He's a Bale. joke. I don't like him. <laughs> so, with with that in mind, what you know, without having done at least what have you done a best ball yet for this? No, I'm kind of uh, preoccupied with some stuff, but you know, I would guess in like a couple of weeks I'll start doing that stuff. So with, with that with that in mind, uh, and, and you being able to to see how the quarterback market shaped up, I remember last year we were we were talking about how you know that that certain tier that that Dak Kyler. Lamar, uh, maybe one or one or two other guys were were Herbert probably um, in that in that same range. And and you kind of took the the position of I'll just take what the draft gives me in the sense that, like, I like all these guys enough at where they're going. I'll just kind of wait until the last one's available or or the second to last one and and go from there. Do you you have a a bit more of a, a structured uh, like tier ranking for for this, uh, you know, say Herbert through uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. And looking at the the board as it shook out in your case, like Josh Allen going 23rd when Mahomes doesn't go till 34th. And then the third quarterback is Herbert at 40. It's like, I don't really like any of those prices. I guess if I, Mahomes is my favorite of those because uh, I'm, I'm higher on Herbert than most people, but I don't think he should be going within like five picks of Mahomes exactly. And meanwhile, uh, I, I don't feel strongly enough about anyone being the quarterback one to take them whatever this is uh, 11 picks before the second quarterback so I don't see anything that I obviously like but then even in the cheaper cases of like these six round guys Kyler uh, Dak I like them both and I'll I'll probably take them both in that range but it's not like I'll be super confident about it because just like Greg Roman with with the Ravens like Mike McCarthy is a buffoon with Dallas or Kellen Moore whoever's fault it is and Cliff Kingsbury just just an oaf for the Cardinals and <laughs> Kyler Murray and Dak can't do anything about that. So it's like it's great that they're good players and even have some talent around them. But like they're going to get 80 percent returns relative to their talent and other teams, other players are going to get 100 percent or sometimes more, you know, when they're when they actually have legitimately good coaching. And I think you can call Stafford that. But I don't want Stafford in the sixth round at all. It's like Stafford is interesting to me at last year's price, not at sixth round. So. With that, also seventh round, Trey Lance, Jalen Hurts. I don't, I can't trust either of those guys as much as I, I like Lance. I uh, can't trust him at for anything right now. So, quarterback looks like a minefield to me. I, I do like, I think your 
54 for Lamar Price, the best out of all of them here, followed by, I guess, Mahomes at 34. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's tough. And it, the other thing, too, John, if you look through the rest of your draft, it's not easy to get depth. Like it's it's really easy mm-hmm. to end up with liabilities at quarterback the way this one turned out. Like you got a it's like Derek Carr going in the 11th round now, Trevor Lawrence. I like Trevor, too. But in the 10th round, it's like it's not somewhere I want to be taking him uh, until especially at least until they hopefully add some decent pass catchers on that team. It's like all across the Malik, uh, Malik Willis at 134 in the, the 12th round with Daniel Jones. Like those two are your 12th round options. It's like maybe you really do want to get quarterback tied up by like the, the ninth round or something. I don't know what to do there. Yeah, dude. I mean, it, it's messy. And like, like you said, Wh- Willis. Yeah, I like it. I think there's a very strong chance that he's the first quarterback off the board. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, you know, at, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm not taking. I guess I, I might take him over Daniel Jones, but I, I would feel gross about both. Um, yeah, you know, like Carson Wentz going in the 15th. Like, we don't know that that guy's going to play in 2022. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of just total landmines, like some, some, some players that I think. Uh, in the draft, it's like, and I'm not saying they're bad picks. It's like, you got to take a quarterback eventually. And it's like, if you're going through the whole draft, like, oh, not a good deal, not a good deal. Eventually, you got to take somebody. So I understand why, but it's like repeatedly these quarterback picks, you're seeing people take on a lot of risk without, in my opinion, all that much upside and with none of the risk baked into the price. It's like, you don't get any bargains for all these problems you're getting. No, you you really don't. Um, you know, you, you contextualize it with, with, with Kyler and, and Dak, but you know, you can extract, I, guess I need to get further. Them. I guess I'm like, I just have to make that pick and I'm like, Oh, gross, but it's the least gross ones to me, I guess. Yeah. Cause I mean, Trey Lance is, you know, leap of faith kind of, even though, you know, we, we like what, what he has in, in his tool bag, but you know, you just don't know if, with him, you know, entering presumably his first year as, as the full-time starter, Jalen hurts, just shows that he has the limitations shows that he has, you know, the, he can give you a decent floor, but I, I don't think that he has that many weeks that really are, are like those quote unquote spike weeks. Um, so I'm not super in on him. I'll, I'll be interested to see though, if the Eagles uh, continue to, to add to their, you know, group of pass catchers. But when it, when it comes to Lawrence, how shook should we be from last year? And and now the fact that urban's gone and, and, you know, that they're airing the place out, uh, getting rid of all the the stench left behind by by the urban regime, do you think that there there's you know reason to be bullish on, on Trevor Lawrence, or do you do you think that you know this is a spot where you should continue to just kind of let him fall to you know tenth, eleventh, twelfth, something like that? So I went into this off season expecting to buy Trevor Lawrence as I mistakenly did last year. Uh, but that was largely too because I figured everyone was going to be so low on him, and maybe in a draft that you're not in, maybe there uh, Lawrence will fall into that like 15th round range. And if he falls into like if he falls past the 12th, I'll buy in bulk again. I don't care. Uh, when I even watch like disaster tape from Lawrence's rookie year, the whole time I'm just thinking like, this guy is awesome. This guy is so good. I can't believe the numbers, and I can't believe how inept and negligent of a person urban Meyer must be to get the results that he did. But I, I, like I said, I'm I'm not, I'm not lying either. Like I'm not just trying to lie to myself. Like I, I watched the, these Trevor incomplete passes, these, these Trevor 
not so much the interceptions. You can't really think those look good, but these plays, especially these drop passes and stuff, it's like he makes so many throws that basically nobody can make. And especially after a case like Josh Allen, where he was brutal in college and his first couple of years in the NFL and especially his first year in the NFL. And obviously, uh, at least given the improved offensive coordinator and then surrounding personnel, he became what he is now and has been for a couple of years now. So uh, Lawrence starting from this low point and, and getting to the top would, ha- would be something that already has some precedent, at least with, with Allen. And it's, you think through like who would start at Wyoming if, if Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence had been there at the same time, it's not a question. Tre- Trevor Lawrence uh, mm-hmm. was, was an insanely good college quarterback, even as a true freshman and playing for the worst team of all time with not just in the sense of like, uh, you know, the talent around him, the talent around him was certainly bad, especially when DJ Chark got hurt. That, that was when it was really over. Cause once, once he got hurt, they just, they weren't a serious offense at that yeah, point. Was Laquan Treadwell time after that. Yeah. He was the good one. Uh, they got to get rid of Marvin Jones too. He, uh, he apparently, uh, doesn't think Trevor is good, but, uh, that's, that's not, that's not true. And it's, it's kind of like, Oh man, I, I used to think you were smart, uh, Marvin, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like you watching urban Meyer just, just create the most, uh, memorable, you know, circus aflame that anyone has ever, ever seen. And, and just looking like, Oh man, that was, that was, look, that was a bad look for Trevor, not fixing that ridiculous train wreck single-handedly. Um, that's ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I think uh, it, it, as much as I'm saying I'm surprised at Trevor going in the 10th and I didn't really expect to or want to do that, I will definitely take him there over, uh, I don't know, Malik Willis before like the 15th round or Daniel Jones in pretty much any round. Uh, Zach Wilson, Tannehill, not really interested in them. So well, how about um, toss up Lawrence or Justin Fields? Um, so fields fields is definitely a better runner than Lawrence. I, I don't know. It's, I don't have a problem with the price. Uh, fields went 100th overall and you got Lawrence at 115th. It's like, I guess I'd prefer the 115 for Lawrence option, but especially with some of these other, uh, like if Daniel Jones is going in the 12th, then Justin Fields in the ninth is totally reasonable. Uh, right. And adjusting for inflation, I guess. Yeah, so it, it's tricky. Um, listener uh, Mark chimed in saying he's tried to get Trevor Lawrence in a bunch of different spots, and there there's no discount. It, it seems like can't find any deal on him. So so maybe maybe this is the the case of people not being fooled by by what they saw in what was a disastrous rookie season and sticking to their analysis of who Trevor Lawrence is as a player. Well, I guess that that might also be though that like the people who are likely to own him were likely among the highest on him in the first place, and therefore like the least likely to panic so much over the rookie year. But you see a lot of people, a lot of people who are are rather smart, even uh, talking about Trevor Lawrence on Twitter and saying like, you know, this is this is so bad. No one's ever been this bad, and look look at really bad look for his rookie year and such. And and I think. Um, and once it's understandable, certainly it looked bad enough. You, you could just watch it happen and, and get the point. Uh, mm-hmm. The numbers make the point even even clearer yet. But I think people need to accept that 
sometimes these numbers just don't mean anything. And sometimes more than any other case, rookie year underclassmen quarterback numbers don't mean anything, especially when the entire team around him is like not a serious professional operation or anything close to it. So um, I, I get it, but it's kind of frustrating to me when like we're just talking about the Josh Allen case. Like if you're not prepared to say Josh Allen actually still sucks uh, when he had the rookie year and even the year after that, that he did, then you can, you can still certainly take the concern of Trevor Lawrence's rookie year and account for it. But to say that it's actually a reflection of him rather than just um, an imperfect bit of, you know, barely applicable data point, like that's just, that's just not a reasonable frame. Like you, you need to understand that quarterback play is dependent on so many things. And when, especially when you're an underclassman rookie, it's like, Mac Jones is probably like two years older than Trevor Lawrence. And like, just think through, even with that same cursed Jaguars 2021 team, it's like if it's, if Trevor Lawrence is two years from now playing in that same scenario, the results are a lot better too, you know? So there's, there's a lot of context and perspective that you have to keep in mind. And we want there to be clear meaning in certain things where it, it just doesn't actually exist. And, And when we reach for it and try to try to figure things out that we can't, it's, it's basically like a, I don't know, almost like a hubris kind of thing. But I am still, in any case, high on Lawrence just because I well, certainly the, love the the college production. That that stuff is, you know, all time good stuff. Um, but the basic deal is when I watch him play, I'm I'm constantly thinking like I've never seen anyone do that. Like it's constantly. So I I still think he's going to be a top five quarterback very soon. I do too, and, and you know, I think you can say that. Not all number first overall picks are created equal, but but also not not all teams that that get the number one overall pick are created equal. Like so, sometimes it, you know a team ha- has a very down year, you know, kind of ma- made sure that they ended up securing that number one spot. It was well earned from Jacksonville in, in both twenty twenty and and this past year. So uh, you know that it's a special kind of of teal colored dumpster fire there. I do like Doug Peterson. It's insane how dysfunctional the Jaguars are, and the Trent Balky thing is still really disheartening. Shad Khan is still an incredibly stupid person, but given how stupid Shad Khan is and how vile and uh, toxic just the sludge man that Trent Balky is, it's a miracle that they were able to get Doug Peterson in there. Like I, I, I wanted Byron Leftwich definitely, but. Doug Peterson was a lot better of an outcome than I thought was possible the way things were going. Yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, that, that should stop the bleeding in, in a lot of ways and, and just kind of give Trevor something uh, to work with uh, in year two. Uh, before we get on to our next topic here, I uh, got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we've also got a message from our friends over at WinBet. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states, expanding. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding at WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, Mario. So, uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get onto a running back selection that I made in this one and, and kind of dovetail it because I had already gotten a couple of of starting running backs in, in Nick Chubb and J.K. Dobbins in in the second and fourth rounds respectively. But when I saw that that Clyde Edwards Hilaire was available in the eighth and, and that Rashad Penny might make it make it back to me in the ninth, th- those were values that I simply couldn't pass up. And and especially considering that, you know, I, I could have gone with a Dalton Schultz, a Juju Smith Schuster, uh Allen Robinson or what what's left of him. Uh, Christian Kirk, Adam Thielen, like I, I no, I'm I'm just gonna be a little bit running back heavy in the if the drafts continue to to shape up that way. But but your thoughts on on Ceh's free fall and and Penny's uh, new ADP before we start diving in a little bit deeper on Penny. Well, I like both of the picks, and it's it's not that I look through the other running back picks immediately before Edward Solaire and and Penny. And look at that and say like, oh, this was you know terrible, indefensible. I, I don't really, I don't really think any of the picks are so bad ahead of him. But there's no good reason to be taking Devin Singletary ahead of Clyde Edwards-Helaire, in my opinion. Like we already did this with Singletary after his rookie year too. Like he had a couple big games at the end of the year, burned out afterward because he isn't actually good. He's just he's just a backup. Um, and the the Bills for some reason like him, which is fine, but they won't like him as much when he has his the same regression he did the first time and starts fumbling like he always has and starts dropping passes like he always has. So taking Singletary granted in the seventh, I, I was expecting him almost to go in like the third. Cause I remember hearing uh, Jeff and Chris talking about Singletary going in the third, like don't take Singletary in the third. Don't take him. Don't do it. Don't take him ahead of Edward Solaire or Rashad Penny. Um, it's, it's just so funny. The lack of perspective that people have and uh, like just kind of the bad memory in general that people have. Um, don't get me wrong. It's concerning that Andy Reid uses Edward Solaire the way he does. Uh, Andy Reid is kind of out of his mind in a lot of ways. Uh, the ways that he handles his personnel is completely indefensible. Uh, it really hurts the Chiefs what he does. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not good to see Ed- Edward Solaire playing behind McKinnon in those playoffs there. But McKinnon was playing on a veteran minimum. It was against the rules for the Chiefs to pay him less than they did. And no one else was willing to pay a you know, dollar more. Uh, they didn't use him all year until week 17. 
he had a big game against the Steelers, who had the, ver- the worst run defense in the NFL. And on that basis, Andy Reid decided, oh, we got to go with McKinnon. I guess McKinnon's the best one. He, he wasn't for 16 weeks. In fact, I couldn't get him on the field. I was putting uh, Derek Gore on the field and, and Daryl Williams ahead of him. But now he's the best one. Now, I once, like, Andy Reid seemed to sincerely believe that, but the, the second part is, obviously, it's not true. And if it's obviously not true, we have to consider the possibility that Reid has that sort of light bulb go on eventually. And Clyde edwards Lair, try to remember the way people talked about him after his first two games. Try, try to remember oh, the way they talked about Lord. him going into his rookie year. You had people telling other people they were morons for not taking him in the fifth, uh, top five fifth overall picks, rather. Um, and then, yeah, he has two big games, gets hurt a couple times, and now people are like, oh, he's worse than McKinnon. He's worse than the guy that Kyle Shanahan basically cut to make room for Jamichael Hasty. He's worse than a guy that was a healthy scratch basically for four months. It's like, no, maybe something else might have changed, and it's, it's not a good sign that Reed used McKinnon ahead. But he used McKinnon ahead of him because he had a big game in a setting. While Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was hurt, by the way, he had a big game right. against the Steelers. It's like if Edwards-Hilaire wasn't hurt, Edwards-Hilaire has the big game. And Andy Reid stupidly thinks instead, like, oh, I guess we can't use McKinnon. It, like, I, I realize that that it's not good, but understand how flimsy the basis is and see how easily that all can just have never happened at all. Um, anyway, Edwards-Hilaire is still fine. The injuries are concerning. It's something we should have kind of expected as a risk being five, seven, two Oh four or whatever he is. And especially the way they were using him as those first few games this rookie year, just giving him like 20 carries every game. Like yeah, he never should have been the teeth of the line. Yeah. He should have, he should have been all along like a 13, 14 carry four or five catch kind of running back. And I know the pass catching thing, people are going to look at his stats and just say like, Oh, he's bad at it though. Look how bad his numbers are compared to McKinnon and Daryl Williams. It's like go watch the tape of those guys. The defense doesn't cover Daryl Williams. When Clyde Edwards gets a target, there's a linebacker there. That's why he gets less yardage because Daryl Williams catches the ball. There's nobody there. There's nobody there for McKinnon either because they don't care because they're not good. So uh, the chief system, this this is a problem with Kareem Hunt and Damian Williams previously. Of course, people have such a hard time like taking away any sort of signal from, from the, the outcomes of that backfield. Like they just, they're constantly making just backward conclusions. And uh, anyone who believes that there's, there's a serious uh, question about like who's the better player be- between McKinnon and Clyde Solaire is one of the people who are confused by it. There we have it. So that, that's good contextualizing there uh, when, when it comes to Mitt McKinnon. Understandable, like you said, that 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 you know we're seeing Ceh's price range fall down. You know he was like a what like a mid third rounder, late second rounder a year ago. Yeah, and I even mean, if no McKinnon, one... even if McKinnon goes into this next year, re- if they do resign him and he does somehow go into week one as like the lead running back, he will burn out. He cannot play four hundred snaps. It won't mm-hmm. last. He will not play in November if he plays forty snaps a game in September and October. It won't happen. So yeah. If you want to get the starting Chiefs running back in the eighth round, maybe you can convince yourself of taking Edwards Hilaire this year. See, there it is. Um, and then when it comes to Penny, uh, we'll use this as a, as a jumping off point. So, I, you know, if I were to redo this draft, I would have preferred to have one of CEH or Penny, not both necessarily, given, given that I already had um, Chubb and Dobbins. But I'm happy that I have them both. And in Penny's case, you know, he, he, you know, kind of comes out of just the abyss late in the season this year after Chris Carson, who you've talked about basically since Carson became a thing where he runs so hard that he gets himself banged up 
Penny, of course, hasn't had the cleanest bill of health during his NFL career either, but he looked impressive. He looked like a guy where it's like, oh, yeah, like he was a first-round pick um, down the stretch there. So your thoughts on him, where where his trajectory is going, does he stick in Seattle? If he does, you know, what does that mean for for the him and Carson split or, you know, what are some potential landing spots? Yeah, I have no idea where he's going. I don't know what the Seahawks plan to do. They're not exactly – bound to Chris Carson even though they technically did extend him he's basically at uh I don't know he's they're almost like leasing Carson more than they're like truly signed to him they can get rid of him if they want um Penny's durability is the one concern with him I think and it's it's funny he he was another case that we just could not get people to look at him with any sort of perspective at all People just thought, oh, he sucks. He's, I, I even know like a Seahawks fan who's telling me before the year, like he's the worst one. He's worse than DJ Dallas and Alex Collins. And and this is someone who's actually knows a lot about football, mind you. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm not. Uh, this is not a particular case where uh, I just had some idiot on Twitter that uh, that I'm referring to, um, somebody who doesn't matter. It's like this is a person who knows the Seahawks, and I was like losing my mind trying to convince them. Look, Penny is definitely better than DJ Dallas. I won't even argue college. I just need you to say he's better than Dallas, please. Uh, it wouldn't do it. Um, anyway, Penny was a guy who had a lot of people bitter at him for so many reasons. There's the people who just hate running backs. They hated him because he went in the first round. There's the people mm-hmm. who uh, the Seahawks fans who were just kind of like bitter. Like, why do we use a first round pick on him when we had Chris Carson? Which is a fair point, by the way. Also, a fair criticism of that pick was that they took him ahead of Nick Chubb, which uh, I'm a big Rashad Penny fan, but you shouldn't take him ahead of Nick Chubb. That was something we could have told them even at the time. Um, those are the only reasonable criticisms of that pick, though. Like Penny was a very good prospect. Some people didn't think so because they were confused or looking at something that didn't matter. I don't know what it was. Um, Penny grades well as a prospect for the exact same reasons that players like Chubb and Jonathan Taylor do. And I don't know how some people from afar might imagine my process. I don't know if they imagine me uh, doing some elaborate uh, procedures or whatever, but pouring, I don't. Pouring beakers into other beakers. Yes. Uh, there's a montage and I'm, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's actually very simple. I basically just kind of click descend on a, just like speed and production, you know, like that's about mm-hmm. it. And Rashad Penny was, just completely insane at San Diego state. Like he might, he might've been the most explosive running back pretty much in college history, or at least his, his final year there. We'll never see anything like it, or at least I wouldn't imagine it uh, running for 2,248 yards and 23 touchdowns at 7.8 yards per carry. Uh, that that's completely insane. I don't, I don't even really, I don't know how to compare it to anything. And the whole time he's doing that, by the way, he's returning kickoffs for touchdowns all the time too. Mm-hmm. Like he returns seven kickoffs for touchdowns on 81 attempts. Penny is really good at running away from people. He showed that at San Diego state. Then he ran a four, four, six forty at over 220 pounds. So Jonathan Taylor runs for tons of yards. He's, he's pushing two thirty. He's, you know, he's, he's well over two twenty. running the four, three, nine. That's an illustration of how, you know, the, the gap between Taylor and Penny is basically like Taylor was about as productive, but he's more toolsy. Also, he's probably a little bit harder of a worker. Um, but Penny basically is that same genre of player. He's just big, fast, big, fast runs, runs for touchdowns all the time, runs for tons of yards all the time. And he ran for, he ran very effectively with the Seahawks too, 
when he wasn't hurt. Like he, he, the rushing average, the the big plays, it was all there. But people, in addition to the people who hated him for you know the, the previous coalition members that I named, this new group of people started hating him because he was not coming through as a fantasy sleeper. So you got this third group of people who just hate Rashad Penny. Uh, the first two groups just were mad no matter what. The third group didn't care that Penny was very efficient and explosive because he didn't have the volume. So there's all these people hating him for different reasons. Um, all of them are kind of full of it, in my opinion. And the whole time it was just like, if he just stops getting hurt, he should be very good because he already did it. When he wasn't hurt before, he was already good. So this isn't complicated. Um, I'm just I, I'm picturing um, like from the dark night when, when the Joker walks in on the on the criminals all having their like lunchtime meeting in the, in that kitchen. I'm just picturing like that. But it's they're They're just the coalition of Rashad Penny haters. Like yeah, just, just the insufferable people, people who get mad. Yeah, just, there's there's so many insufferable people now who just get mad at players for all these different reasons. You see, Miko gets a lot of it really bad too because it's like the Hakeem Butler hive hates him. Uh, the people mm-hmm. who wish that he had take that they had taken DK Metcalf hate him. Uh, the people who draft him in fantasy hate him for not being good. Uh, all all kinds. Of these anytime he does something good, it's it's immediately discounted. Yeah, because of because of like online media, social media, twenty four seven news, DFS, fantasy sports, and everything. There's all these coalitions of just grievance holders that didn't used to exist, and so you get these you get these like swelling of, of noises and and just complaints about things that just shouldn't matter to anyone. Um, and yeah, people people getting just developing genuine ire at these players for just no sane reason at all. Um, nope. But anyway, yeah, Penny, I lost the faith even because I, I just thought like he was busted physically, especially when that knee, like, he, he had the season ending knee injury. Then he came back late two years ago, got busted again immediately. It didn't look right. I was like, man, he's he's been out for like two years with a knee. That can't be good. And then he started missing time with like the calf, whatever it was last year. And they almost put him out before he broke out. They were like, there was a couple days there where they were very seriously putting him on IR. I don't know if that would have been a season ender in that case, but he had a hamstring injury at the time. They almost put him on IR. Then like four days later, he went nuts. So what he did last year was, was basically the same thing that he did, not just at San Diego state, but even the first two years of his career off the bench behind Carson, like on a per touch basis, he was basically doing the same thing, but because Carson was hurt. And in this case, the volume happened to people's perspective, uh, perspective totally changed. It was like, He's being the same guy he ever was. He's just playing more. But people saw it as, oh, he doesn't suck anymore for some reason. It's like, no, he never was bad. He just didn't play as much as he wanted him to. So what does it all mean for, for this year? And, you know, what what's your exposure going to look like if his ADP? In the ninth round, here? I will shed my – that'll be my, I guess, DJ Chark, uh, Paris Campbell pick of the year. Like, he, he will get hurt, and I will have him on every single roster. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think um, I, I'm prepared to get exposure to Penny as high as like the fourth round or something. But if he signs in Seattle and they cut Carson or if he signs with some other team that pays him a bunch to be their clear starter, he's going to go a lot higher than the ninth. Like he's he's going to go a lot higher than the ninth just in general. I think I think you uh, were in a weird draft here. Uh, but yeah, I, I would expect him to jump into the uh, I don't know, like go in the same areas like the Michael Carters or something like even now, I would expect that to to start to be the case more often than not. And when there's some sort of clarity on his situation and so people start projecting him with starter workloads, he's going to start going in like the fourth round, I think. Uh, All right. So 
get on over to underdog get 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 some uh get some ninth round penny shares while you yeah and if you want to if you want to see uh read even more about him in that article on the dynasty watch series there's there's no paywall on it so if anyone wants to read about him or gabriel davis or zay jones uh everything that there is about them i I tried to get in there all right I, i will throw the link to that in the show notes so if you're listening to this on the podcast um, go ahead, look at the show notes or the details, and I'll have the link to Mario's article in there. Uh, Mario, before we sign off, let's take it, you know, we only got a, a handful of minutes left here, but take a a gander at, at this free agent quarterback class because we we have an interesting like confluence of things going on where for the first time in a couple of years, we don't have a strong group of, uh, you know, I, I know the 2019 draft, it didn't pan out well as far as the, the quarterbacks went for the most part. But, you know, be, beyond that, we've gone into draft season thinking that there are at least a handful of potential franchise guys. I don't know if there really is even one of them right. in, in this particular class. And now we have, you know, the the Rogers drama in Green Bay, Russell Wilson in Seattle. We also have Big Ben retiring. We have Tom Brady retiring. So these are a lot of you know, kind of open spots now. And, and, you know, I don't know if there's enough players in the musical chairs to fill them all. Yeah. I, so I expressed some doubt about Malik Willis in previous podcasts and I still don't really know what his deal is, but I should say I maybe was too uh, dismissive of him. Cause I don't know. I mean, he, he had some really brutal tape and some brutal numbers at Liberty, but it's not as if it was half as bad as what Josh Allen put up at Wyoming. So if there is some sort of if there is a such thing as a guy just getting held back by his surrounding team and if if having a certain sum of arm strength and athleticism really does make you just thrive in the NFL even after struggling in college maybe Willis is one of those guys but he's he's like the only one even then i i hate this quarterback class so much so um guys like Jameis Winston uh Marcus Mariota Mitchell Trubisky all as as free pickups in free agency, I think are clearly clearly better options than um th- than pretty much every non Willis and maybe like another one. Maybe there's another decent one in there somewhere. I don't really know. Um, but that's that's how I would approach it if I was a team that needed a quarterback this offseason. I'd just be like, we're gonna go get Mariota, Winston, and even Trubisky. Even Trubisky, I would <laughs> like Trubisky is bad, of course, but. He was really good at North Carolina. Not that Sam Howell wasn't, but um, I don't think that Howell conventionally grades better than Trubisky did as a prospect. So if you can not spend a first round pick to get a similar caliber of prospect who now has the advantage of being a veteran rather than a raw rookie, I I'm pretty interested in all those free agent guys, even if you know, you're not, you're not pinning a four year plan on them, but they're cheap right now. And we know they can do something. No, exactly. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see how how the markets uh, shape up for for those kind of veteran backup types. Do you see Mariota potentially get, getting some interest as a starter? I hope so because I I'm insane. So I still think he's better <laughs> than Ryan Tannehill. But like, it's true. I'm not I'm not crazy on this one. Uh, Mariota <laughs> just had a bad elbow and. Uh, basically got benched before they started AJ Brown. And if, if they just started AJ Brown all year, I don't even think Tannehill happens at all in Tennessee. 
Um, so I like Mariota and, and it's, there's a little bit of like the fantasy bias, I guess, egging me on because if Marcus Mariota is starting, Marcus Mariota is probably running quite a bit and getting fantasy point totals that even outpace whatever actual quality of play he might put on the field. And I, I incidentally still think he, he probably is pretty good or at least, um, like if Rogers gets traded or, or sorry, whatever happens with, I don't even remember what is, if he's a free agent or what his situation is technically, but like if, if Rogers is gone in your Matt LaFleur, wouldn't you much rather have Mariota starting than Jordan love? Like, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a bunch of places where I can imagine Mariota stepping in and having like a surprisingly decent supporting cast. Um, but yeah, admittedly, I guess it's, it's not likely to happen for all of him, Trubisky, Jameis, um, so I was I was on the the radio in in uh, Louisiana um, this week, and they were asking they were just kind of like kicking the tires a little bit of you know pre free agency stuff, it, and they floated the idea to me and obviously that they're mostly Saints centric when it comes to their NFL discussion when it's not the regular season, and the the idea was basically what do you think the Saints would have to give up for Jordan Love right now? Hmm. Uh, well, if Lafleur wants Mariota, then probably not that much at all. But let's see, he's two years into his contract. You probably don't want to go on that fifth-year option because uh, so you got one year maybe to find out if you want to go into that very expensive fifth year with Love. I I don't know if you could get more than than a fourth. Like I don't, I don't know if uh, I don't know if anyone would be willing to pay it, but I don't think they can get more than a fourth, probably something like Dang. that. So that 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 little it wasn't a good pick, actually. No. They shouldn't have done it, as it turns out. You don't say. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's going to wrap it up um, here for the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, Mario. One last thing to to note uh, from from last week's show: despite the eight leg parlay not hitting, I did get Trey Hendrickson first sack. Oh, nice. Uh, I I assume that wasn't quite as much as the eight leg parlay. Uh, no, it it paid out uh, five to one as opposed to uh, to twenty five to one or whatever the that uh, eight leg parlay. Uh, you were close, man. You were close. Just a couple of or it was two hundred fifty to one. It was, <laughs> I think, like only like three of the legs hit. So yeah, my my octopus uh, was not um, fully formed. Oh yeah, what the hell. I, f- I forgot to get uh, outraged that there was uh, no octopus. And then, then Jim Coventry on on the uh, Twitter spaces later Thursday explained what an actual octopus is in the in the gambling sense for you know for what it was being bet on. Essentially, you have to score a touchdown and then also get the ensuing two point conversion. We were, not, were like, we were not betting on uh, a, a living octopus. See, or... they they need to be more clear with that ne- next time. Like it, you yeah. know, because. Uh, so if someone had thrown a live octopus on the field, they would have said that doesn't count because it's not the bet. It's like, well, the the question simply states, will there be an octopus? That is an octopus, you know, so it, w- it would have been it a whole mess. It would have been a great uh, bit of case law uh, if they didn't <laughs> pay out on that and someone successfully lobbed a sea creature on the field. Yeah, so no, too bad. Hopefully... Uh, next Super Bowl out in Arizona with it with a slightly rowdier crowd, more likely to, to have an octopus access. Maybe they'll go for it. I don't think there's a betting outcome called a scorpion. So if if that's on there, there's only one way to read it. And, uh, you know, also make sure you check your shoes. Uh, you don't want a scorpion in there. Um, anyway, I was going to wrap it up. 
for this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, presented again by our friends over at WinBet. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.